Thanks for tuning in to Talking Fast, a Gilmore Girls podcast. Alexis and Suzanne here with a quick message about our early season one episodes. Just like it took Rory time to get settled into Chilton and the Gilmore Girls writers to develop the role of a random guy named Mick to the Kirk that we all know and love, here at Talking Fast, it took us some time to learn to podcast. As you listen to our early episodes, we ask for your patience as you witness our process of learning how to host a podcast, organize an episode, edit audio, get new equipment, and more. We also understand that sometimes you just like to skip over the Independence Inn and get to the good parts of Lorelai and Suki living out their dreams running the dragonfly. So if that's the case, feel free to skip ahead to after our mid-season one recap where we feel we hit our podcasting groove. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy and stick around. Welcome to another episode of Talking Fast, a Gilmore Girls podcast. I'm Suzanne. And I'm Alexis. And we're two longtime fans of the show, and we're excited to rewatch and recap it along the way. Today, we're discussing season one, episode four, The Deer Hunters. The Netflix bio for this episode is, after Rory receives a bad grade on her English paper, Lorelai helps her cram for a big Shakespeare exam. Ooh, it rhymes. Yeah. But <laughs> catastrophe strikes on her test day. Um, I'm really ready to get into this one. I don't know about yeah. you. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Last week's mm-hmm. was like had a lot of good stuff in it, but it was kind of slow. Mm-hmm. Um, but this episode is, yeah, intense. <laughs> As the bio says, catastrophe strikes. <laughs> yeah, quite literally. In our segment, Talking Fast, we'll attempt to recap as fast as the Gilmore Girls themselves. So here's how it works. We'll each take on the challenge of recapping the episode in only 30 seconds. So let's talk fast. Speaking of catastrophes, I think I'm supposed to try to do (laughs) Talking Fast first this time. Okay. I'll pull up a timer. Are you ready? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And... All right, Rory receives a D on her paper, which is just heartbreaking, and um, she has to study a lot. Uh, She's not sleeping, she's not eating, she won't even, like, get ice cream with Lorelai, which is when you know it's a really big red flag kind of moment. Uh, Suki is also going through a hard time because she got a bad review about her risotto, her magical risotto, as everyone acknowledges, and there's a deer, it hits Rory. And, okay. <laughs> I think I got the main moments. <laughs> yeah, you got, like, pretty far in there. At, at the beginning, I was a bit worried, but... <laughs> mm-hmm. Sped up. Oh, gosh, no, no. Okay, now it is your turn. On your mark, get set, go! Okay, so Rory gets a D on her paper. We also meet Mr. Medina, who is going to play in later episodes. Um, Suki and Lorelai get a good review, but Suki is a little bit worried about her risotto. And when I say a little bit, she's very worried about it. So Lorelai and Rory cram for the test. Um, and then, oh gosh, and then Rory is struck by a deer and Lorelai meets Mr. Medina and Suki takes food to the restaurant critic. (laughs) Uh. <laughs> I can't you got I totally forgot Max Medina you were right to yeah. bring that up we got some okay. pretty interesting 
hints about future or some foreshadowing, I guess, to use a literary term. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I think let's slow it down and unpack a few of the main moments that we mentioned. And we both start with the whole, the D on the paper. I think that's a great place to open. What are your thoughts on this event? I thought it was pretty extreme for her first bad grade to be a D. And I, I don't know, I just... To, to go from being an A student at a public high school to being a D student at a private high school seems a little bit uh, extreme, but also I can understand Rory's distress at that. I, I also probably would have freaked out, um, and mm-hmm. Paris and her friends don't help at all in that. <laughs> yeah, I think extreme is a good word because everything about this situation is extreme like both like the fact that they gave her a d but also rory's reaction which we'll we'll probably unpack as we go but i i just i just want to read the paper you know like what kind of what was the grading rubric here what I'm I'm kind i'm skeptical i agree that she was like straight a student all the way to a d yeah like as a an undergrad teacher I think what would need to happen for me to give a student a d on a paper would be like close to plagiarism to be honest I am a pretty easy grader but like they would have had to not really reference any direct passages from the text Mm -hmm. they would have had to not have an argument and I just can't imagine Rory you know, not having those kind of bare minimums, you know? I barely give out a C, you know? So I'm like, (laughs) what happened? And later on, toward the end of the episode, Rory mentions that, I'm pretty sure she mentions this happened because she wasn't caught up on the reading yet, which is such a huge red flag to me that Mr. Medina didn't give her adequate time to catch up. Like, she's a transfer student. It's not her fault. I just don't think it was very cool of him, especially in that public way. He made it, he was making such a performance and show out of giving out the papers. It's a huge FERPA violation. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, like to, I mean, to hand them out grade up is bad, but he was also like giving commentary for each grade, Mm -hmm. like to talk to Rory as he's handing out grades. Like everybody then knows she got a bad grade. That's just right. terrible. <laughs> I was pretty surprised. I guess this is a, a bit later, but in the same vein of things with just the strictness altogether of all the tests and like the getting there, what, like 805 or something for a test and having no opportunity to make it up. Yeah, I the Chilton needs to chill out, you know? <laughs> They're not, they're not necessarily making better students. They're just making them more stressed. I, I completely agree. Like, a few of the following main moments are basically, like, Rory trying to study, and she's really, like, she's overworking herself. She's not getting sleep. She's not really eating. And she's just doing this, like, memorization of mm-hmm. so many facts about Shakespeare, like, so many dates, so many just plain details that it really made me think about the pedagogy of Chilton at large and what 
as you said, like, they're not making them better students. They're making them perform this, like, monotonous, like, re- like regurgitating this information that's either going to be on an AP test or I, I don't even, I don't know. Like, it's just not my kind of pedagogy, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it makes me, it just makes me think of standardized testing and how it's not an accurate measure of people's intellect or even their general knowledge about things and it it also has so many different like classist and racist problems that for that to be like the big thing that they're preparing for and yeah out of Shakespeare like did they read any of Shakespeare's plays I it seems like they were just memorizing facts about him which are essentially useless if you haven't read the plays and even if you have like knowing about his life isn't necessary to enjoy the plays I guess Mm -hmm. it's so it's become such a business standardized test of like you have to be able if you want to succeed you practically have to go buy these expensive courses and prep books and Mm -hmm. it's so like it's such a cost barrier there that excludes so many people like you said and it just oh makes me so mad and this was still 21 years ago yet I don't feel like it's changed yeah, I mean, it is a business to the point where sometimes in the summers I get a job as an AP grader for literature AP tests. And yeah, mm. it's just to have like your entire future writing off of something like that is just terrifying. I will say from my experience as a student, I took a couple AP classes and we always took the tests at the end of the semester so I just want to know why they're having an AP test in the either at the start or in the middle of their semester I'm like okay what time we've pushed this point a couple times now it is not clear like what time it is in these episodes yeah I also because yeah if it is an AP exam it should be yeah at the end of a semester and it shouldn't just be about Shakespeare (laughs) I would think so questioning Mr. Medina's pedagogy once again why is there an exam with 20 percent of a grade Mm -hmm. that oh my oh my gosh she's gonna already miss out 20 percent of her grade if she missed the exam no wonder she was having a rough time when she was late (laughs) I also like I I obviously don't know how Chilton is set up if they're on a semester schedule or a full year schedule because when I was in high school I'd be in like the same English class I think the entire year maybe it was semesterly but I think it was the entire year so 20% of the entire year's grade is riding on this one test that's that's ridiculous (laughs) oh my gosh I feel so bad for Rory but I also and I, I really appreciate Lorelai helping her study, but I also wish that Lorelai at some point had been like, okay, it's time for bed, because one of my greatest mm-hmm. tips for myself and for any test taker is at some point, you know what you know, and what you don't know isn't going to be fixed in the next 12 hours, so you might as well sleep. I, I really appreciated how supportive Lorelai was being of her and how like truly dedicated she was but I think that was a moment where she should have encouraged a work-life balance (laughs) yeah I'm glad it is at the very end like they finally have that discussion about whose dream Harvard really is Mm -hmm. and Lorelai tells Rory to basically like if you 
make it at Jolton, that's good. But if you don't, that's also fine. <laughs> you shouldn't be killing right. yourself for this. I, I thought that was interesting because earlier on in the episode, Lorelai tells Max that she it's her dream for Rory to go to Harvard since she was crawling. Mm-hmm. And you and I had wondered about that Mm -hmm. in earlier episodes we thought like oh is Lorelai aware that Rory is kind of on this path that she went away from and it seems like at least part of Lorelai at some moments has wanted Rory to have that life yeah it kind of makes you wonder how much of Rory's interests and personalities have been shaped by that dream of Lorelai's if if Lorelai hadn't put her in this Harvard sweatshirt when she was four years old would she you know, would she be the same Rory that we know? And I mean, that's kind of a futile question, but Mm -hmm. yeah. I think it's a good, it's a good thought experiment. And honestly, I think we would have evidence to support the answer is no, because later on, spoiler alert, (laughs) Rory goes to Yale, not Harvard. (laughs) So she does end up like going against this dream that has been set by her mom. Although I don't know, does she pursue the one that her grandparents have been telling her to go to Yale? I she I could see why she's affected by these like really these family members in her life. They're very persuasive mm-hmm. and extroverted. All of her family members are. Yeah, seriously. And to be honest, as somebody who went to a public university, all the Ivy Leagues are basically the same to me. Like if you go to Harvard, you basically go to Yale also. So it's kind of the same. I mean, obviously, that's not true, and anybody who's listening who's at Harvard or Yale probably highly disagrees, but, yeah, it's just... Well, they wouldn't say they go to Harvard or Yale. They would say, I go to school in Cambridge, <laughs> or I go to school in New Haven. That's true. <laughs> wow. But, yeah, write, it, write in, tell us the difference. <laughs> I think we could wrap up this storyline of the episode to discuss what happens at the end with Rory being late for the exam and then having her mom called into the headmaster's office basically because she's been in trouble but Mm -hmm. talk about um what a like an outburst right in the exam room (laughs) I know my like main note in that is how did she continue going to school after that how how did she like show her face after that I would have been so embarrassed to just like completely lose control like that in front of other people would just be terrifying to me Mm -hmm. yes I thought I clearly like something had snapped in that moment for Rory I think it's the mixture of like sleep deprivation desperation when your like future is it feels like your future is on the line um but I, I did, I, and I'm, I'm like team Rory for this because I don't think it's fair that Mr. Medina is immediately like, you can't take the exam. Mm-hmm. But I do think she should have listened when he said, can we take this out in the hall to talk about this? Like, this is something teachers, we talk about this strategy. <laughs> like when you want, we do it because we want a private conversation. We don't want any like possible embarrassments to happen. And I'm like, I think they could have had this talk in the hall, definitely. (laughs) And Mr. Like, I'm not trying to say that Mr. Medina dealt with this well, but there is the possibility if they had had that conversation out in the hallway that at that point he would have been like, okay, I'll work something out with Mr. 
what's his name, the headmaster, and you'll be okay, and Rory could have calmed down, but yeah, just her just going off the deep end, basically, like, made it even harder to get to that point of kind of reconciliation in the end. Would things have gone differently if they had that conversation outside? Um, I don't know, but part, part of me does think it was really satisfying TV, mm-hmm. at least, to see her go off on these really, like, archaic and elitist school policies. Well, I don't know if she does in that moment. Maybe that's more so Lorelai's outburst later on. I might be getting my signals crossed. But what I did love is how she, like, screamed at Paris and yeah. Tristan both. And it was really, it was really good. Yeah, <laughs> Tristan, Tristan deserves it. And Paris at this point. Right. She's she's, <laughs> she's pretty terrible at this point also. I was glad to see Rory, like, her critique of Paris was, like, why do you have this incessant need to bother me when you have everything? You mm-hmm. have the grades. You have the status. And I think that's a fantastic critique of Paris. It also foreshadows what we come to know that Paris does lack certain things. She, she has status, sure, but, like, We'll see her home life is completely different from Rory's. Uh, we'll see, like, her self-confidence is so low. Like, she's overcompensating. Yeah. I was also just going to say, I don't... <laughs> I thought it was very strange that Paris did that little quotation to Rory from Romeo and Juliet. I mean, of all the plays, why wouldn't you choose something that's a little bit more sinister? Like, something from Macbeth or something like that? <laughs> To, to quote, like, this love poetry to Rory, I thought was a very interesting choice. Obviously, she was just showing off, but it's still... Come on, Paris. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe it's foreshadowing that they will have a close yeah. relationship. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe that's the thing they're reading. Yeah. <laughs> we don't get any evidence that they're actually reading Shakespeare. That's true. But, in my <laughs> but don't they read Shakespeare... And do Romeo and Juliet maybe, like, in season two or something? I don't know. They, they definitely need to, do. They need to broaden their school curriculum. <laughs> I think we mm-hmm. haven't even mentioned yet exactly what causes Rory to be late. I mean, other than sleeping a little bit <laughs> late. <laughs> and I just have to mention that in our show notes, I wrote, Rory hits a deer. And you <laughs> corrected me, as Rory would... She was, in fact, hit by a deer. This poor, mm. stunned deer. Like, poor thing. <laughs> poor deer. Mm. Right. My question for you is, do you think the deer is a metaphor? And if so, what is it a metaphor for? <laughs> oh, wow. Just going to stump me like that. <laughs> I just, you know, like, let's just look at it on a surface level. Rory's late, stressed, hit by this deer. It disappears. Then she has this, like, need to go find the deer and makes Lorelai search for it with her afterward. I don't know. I feel like there could be something there. Is it her Is it her time at Chilton? Like, she's hit hard by Chilton, but then she is still pursuing it in the end? I, I don't know. I could be going way too far with this. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a good, a good reading of it. I also was just thinking, like, the general conflict of her two lives like her stars hollow life versus her yeah chilton and then ivy league life and everything and how they collide 
<laughs> often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if it's just kind of a, a push-pull for which life she's going to choose. I like that. I like, I like that. I like your reading as well. Okay, should we continue with the Chilton storyline and then come around to Sookie after? Yeah, that sounds good. What is... I'm completely blanking on the headmaster's name. Me too. Headmaster... Charleston? Charleston? Or... <laughs> I don't know. That seems... Head... We'll just call him the headmaster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he... I guess he calls in Lorelai and Rory sitting out in the hallway, and Lorelai goes on this amazing um, rant about, yeah, school policies, how they aren't making any exceptions for different students and different student needs, which is completely legitimate. She also calls him Il Duce, which I appreciate. I thought that was very fun. Mm-hmm. Um Basically, Mr. Medina and the headmaster have no leg to stand on, logically, but of course they're in power, so. It's so, oh my gosh, I'm, she made so many good points. I wanted to just cheer along at the screen, because headmaster, whatever his name is, <laughs> is saying, like, basically, it's her choice, Roy's choice. She can be here or not, but... And he's like, we put pressure on these kids. We're hard on them. But if they're not meant for it, then they should just leave. But that's just like how you keep intact these exclusionary spaces where only Mm -hmm. a certain privileged kind of kid has the time or the resources to meet these unbelievably difficult standards. Uh, And I find it so hard to believe that any of the other like non-scholarship kids, like if they ever got in trouble... If they ever had bad grades, I find it so hard to believe that the people at Chilton wouldn't just accept, like, bribes or excuses from Mm -hmm. those students who Mm -hmm. have family connections and society connections. Like, you're telling me Tristan has never gotten a D on a paper or missed a test. I, I'm, so, I don't think so. Like, I think, I don't have proof of this, but I think they're being harsh on Rory, clearly, and... I suspect there's a double standard. But you, even if there's not a double standard, it's still the fact that, like, Rory is a transfer student. Rory has to commute. Rory has a lot of different things in her life that they're not making this, like, they're clearly not making this an equitable, equal opportunity kind of learning environment for all of their students. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so frustrating. This is still an issue today. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like this might be going a little bit off topic, but just the class demographics in Chilton really exemplify this. There, so far we have seen zero people who are not white in Chilton. And it's just like, if, if Rory's having this much trouble, as somebody who is even, she has family connections, they might not be her, like, direct parents, but she has Mm -hmm. family connections. And if, and she's also white, if she's having this much trouble in this kind of circumstance, then it's no surprise that they have basically excluded everybody else who's not from a very specific demographic in New England, basically, rich white people, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes me... That is me such s- a good point. Yeah, it makes me sad, like, also just for their... Because this is their first taste of life, basically, and... 
their first taste of life is extremely narrow and not diverse at all, and it's just going to keep getting more narrow as these mm-hmm. super rich students move on, and that's how that's how all these things stay the way that they have been for years and years. <laughs> right, like, we look at Paris, like, would she be that competitive and mean to Rory if she didn't feel that she had to withhold like hold on to the social role within the Mm -hmm. school of like a certain prestigious um role and i i think it is an important point to consider their environment there too um i think it's a really really valid critique of chilton but i guess i don't want to get too into critiques right now since we're doing main moments but stars (laughs) hollow in general is so white as well so that's something Mm -hmm. always on my mind when I'm watching the show. Yeah, as I think in the trailer, I mentioned that it's like a very quintessential American show, but what I should have said is like, it's a very quintessential white American show, really, Mm -hmm. um, to be more specific, which is, you know, just the truth. (laughs) Specificity always helps you, helps us be, yeah, I completely agree. Um, okay, I think the last thing we got, I got us a little off track there, maybe at the very end, but um, Sookie's storyline, I see this as running very parallel to the Rory, like, Rory gets a D, Sookie gets a, your risotto is perfectly fine, <laughs> like, that's the comment <laughs> she receives, and also, like, both Rory and Sookie after that go into a kind of, um, obsessive headspace and like Suki makes 40 different risottos Rory stays up all night like both of them their coping techniques with their perceived failures are not like necessarily perhaps like the healthiest coping techniques either for either of them I would say yeah it's not necessarily like motivation to get better Although we can definitely argue, especially in Suki's case, she doesn't need to get better. But instead, it's the like motivation to prove somebody wrong, which mm-hmm. I admit is often my motivation for doing things. <laughs> if somebody's like said I can't do it, then I'm gonna be like, well, watch me do it then. Um, mm-hmm. And it does it is yeah an issue of pride for Suki for sure. It's kind of. I don't know, I think it's meant to be, like, a comical beat for the show, but, yeah, I definitely agree with you that it is a kind of parallel to Rory's dilemma this whole episode. I would also really like to try that risotto. It looks delicious. <laughs> I agree. It is supposed to be comedic, but, and I think it it is funny, but I just feel, I feel like, I feel for her, and I, I think that's part of it. Like, the audience, we know... All of the other characters around her know this is a perfectly like magical risotto. It kept her mom off her deathbed for like three more years, they said. <laughs> so you as the viewer, you really just want her to realize that, you know, like it it's amazing. It's already good. <laughs> yeah, I love the the ways Jackson and Lorelei kind of comfort her. I mean Lorelei takes a few minutes to catch on, but and, like, mm-hmm. the the expectation, like, the personality expectations they have for Suki and, like, how quickly, especially Jackson realizes that something's wrong based off of something that, like, seems completely uh, trite to the rest of us. But, 
Yeah, I just, I mm-hmm. love how they comfort her. I really like the moments of friendship or relationship in this episode in terms of Lorelai helping Rory or Lorelai helping Suki or Jackson helping Suki in a variety of different ways. But it, I, it really did demonstrate, like, how they're there for each other, how they have, like, a, a language unique to each relationship that allows them to see when something is wrong. It places importance on the ties that they all have together. Yeah. Okay, do you think we've hit all of our main plot lines? Gotten off I track do. here and there. <laughs> <laughs> We interrupt this podcast with an important public service announcement for residents of Stars Hollow. What season is it? The weather in town seems to fluctuate from freezing cold by Luke's Diner and sunshiny warm by the strawberries at Dosey's Market. The students at Chilton are taking AP tests seemingly at the start or middle of the semester. But one thing is certain about this time of year. It is deer season. We've heard disturbing reports of Stars Hollow residents hitting deer, and even in one extremely unique case, being hit by deer themselves. We urge all of you to stay on high alert when you're out on our roads, especially those dirt roads in the middle of the woods that are also kind of in town. So remember, Stars Hollow towns, folks, it's deer season. Be careful out there. This has been an important PSA shared on behalf of the town of Stars Hollow. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's head off to Rory's bookshelf to discuss the most notable pop culture references in this episode. And then let's go to Lorelai's closet to check out the best and worst fashion choices in the show. Did you have anything in mind for Rory's bookshelf this episode? I do, and I actually have a little bit of a rant for this. Let me have it. (laughs) This is something, (laughs) it was mentioned very, very briefly in the parent-teacher conference with Mr. Medina, where he was talking about the different things they were going to cover, and one of them is Christopher Marlowe, the playwright who is contemporary with Shakespeare, and one of the parents is like, uh, he says something along the lines of like, what's important about studying Marlowe, like why is he even on there? And I just have to rant about this mostly because the class that I am TAing for this semester is an early British literature class, and we're starting to read a play by Christopher Marlowe this week, in fact, called Dr. Faustus. Um, I think it's got a subtitle in there, but it's a wonderful play. And Marlowe would have pro- I, many people, and I agree with this, believe that he might have been even more influential than Shakespeare, except that he was killed when he was 29. Um, possibly because he was kind of a double agent for the crown. <laughs> um, so he's got like a spicy history. He also might, many people believe he was gay. 
Um, so we would also have, you know, our, a good queer playwright. Also, I'm, I'm an English major, and this is probably blasphemous, but I'm not a huge Shakespeare fan. But I love Marlowe's plays. They're just more fun and more readable, I think, to me. Um, but yeah, that was, that was, <laughs> that's my Rory's bookshelf rant. Why, why did they have to do Marlowe like that? <laughs> I love it. I loved that rant. I am so glad, I'm so glad you could fill me in and our, our listeners on, um, like the Marlowe history and why he is important. And I, I don't even know why that dad, like, what kind of parents actually know that much information about <laughs> the English classes their students are taking? I'm like, That's is true. this an English professor? And they're just not making it clear because it was a very, like, niche opinion to be like, what is his place in the literary canon? Like, <laughs> but I'm, yeah. I, yeah. yeah, it's very controversial, I'd say. <laughs> Do you have a, a bookshelf moment? So I actually picked the same area as you did I noticed I really it really caught my attention Mr. like Max Medina's I keep calling him Mr. Medina which feels too formal and I want to stop Max is explaining like their Shakespeare unit and like Elizabethan Elizabethan literature uh, which I noticed the other name besides Shakespeare was Ben Johnson who I've vaguely heard of before um Mm. and i the reason this caught my eye is that i feel it's just so classic like ap english (laughs) i'm probably biased because i read such um like later stuff like in the 1900s and um we know we know people who study shakespeare and they do great things i am just like oh i (laughs) this is what i would expect from a private school at chilton was basically i had to roll my eyes a little bit all white men from what I can tell you know like for okay this could be their one unit they could shock me with what they read next you know but for right now I was like this is so like just expected I'm not wowed I want to see more from Max Medina's English class basically like I want to see what else he adds to the bookshelf because right now I'm not that I'm not that impressed yet (laughs) yeah I agree. And if I'm remembering correctly, the only other book that we really hear much about from him is Swan's Way, which is another questionable choice, but that's for another episode. We we will return to that. But I did find I was quite excited by a lot of different outfits and fashion moments for Lorelai's Closet. I actually have a couple nominations, so I hope that's okay. But I want to give the floor to you yeah. first. What was your first or only, I, I, I don't know, um, your nomination for Lorelei's Closet? Well, I also really liked a lot of these outfits, but there was one in particular that I couldn't ignore, partially because of my other uh, obsession, The Bachelor. <laughs> um, in <clears throat> the famous headmaster versus Lorelei scene, um, she is wearing a purple leather pencil skirt and if any of you watched Katie Thurston's um, Bachelorette season that just ended a little while ago one of her uh, promo pictures was her in a purple leather pencil skirt that was meant to uh, signify the dildo that she showed up with 
um, on Matt uh, Matt James's first night. So I just I just had to point that out that Lorelai wore it first, and she might have worn it better to be honest. But that's a little bit rough. Yeah, who who wore it better? Yeah, I okay. You know, I thought that skirt looked familiar. I thought maybe I'm just remembering Lorelai wearing it, but. I totally, that is so similar to the skirt that Katie infamously wore in that promo. And we need to post a side-by-side of that on the Instagram. Yes. Pronto. <laughs> yeah. And who wore it better competition. But I think one thing I wanted, the outfit, I think I want to highlight first as my winner. And then I'll mention a runner-up later on. This is actually... An outfit Jackson wore. Ooh, nice. It's so cool. Um, he wore. He was wearing his like classic overalls, and then underneath he had this long sleeve tie dye shirt mm-hmm. that was like mostly black, but it had like darker orange and green colors. It almost looks a bit bleached, maybe, but it matches this like green beanie kind of hat he has on, and it just looks like such a like a quintessential like fall I stars hollow like I want to wear that outfit basically like yeah. oh it looks so it looks so comfortable <laughs> I really liked the colors and I didn't expect to like have Jackson be my model of fashion but maybe he is yeah he was definitely I'd say hipster before hipster happened with that like his beanie is just so like Portland you know <laughs> Mm-hmm. True. Maybe it's not. <laughs> maybe it's not quintessential Stars Hollow at all. It's quintessential Portland. Before I don't. <laughs> he could but go he on Portlandia right now. <laughs> what was your other uh, option? Um, it's this. It's worn by Lorelai. It's just her shirt. Um, it's like a leopard print tee. <laughs> That had pink, like a pink border around the sleeves and the collar. And it, this is when she's trying to get Rory to stop studying and like get ice cream with her. I think it's, it catches your eye because like it's such a, it's a lot of leopard. (laughs) And it seems like a shirt that perhaps, you know, a teenage girl might wear. And I'm not saying that as a bad thing, it's just that you see it on Lorelai, who is older. And you really get the sense she has a very youthful, bold, and loud kind of style. <laughs> I'm always, like, so impressed by how her casual style is so different from her, like, work style. I mean, they're they're both, like, I don't know, kind of flashy, but in different ways. Like, one is work-appropriate and the other's just kind of um, ostentatious, I guess. Very bright. <laughs> But yeah, I like that she's consistent while being inconsistent, mm-hmm. which is Lorelai, I guess. Uh, we see like her casual, informal, professional like merge in that outfit with the B fifty two tank top because she's like spilled on herself. So I feel like that's a good moment of like her personal private meets the business professional in like her clumsy Lorelai fashion. (laughs) Interesting that it happens at the moment she meets the man who will merge her personal life and her daughter's school life. (laughs) Now that's, you know, (laughs) symbolic. (laughs) I'm sure that was a conscious choice. (laughs) 
Welcome to Stars Hollow is a chance for us to take a nostalgic stroll through the town, discussing its cozy and comfortable aesthetics. Did you notice anything for Welcome to Stars Hollow from this episode? I did. There were quite a few things, but there was one thing that really stood out to me that we haven't mentioned yet, and it was um, when... Rory comes back from school and she's got all of her bags and everything and she drops them in the kitchen at the Independence Inn and asks for chocolate. Suki says, I don't know, some direction. And then in a, like a second later, you see a shot of her sitting on a stool with literally like a two-gallon measuring cup full of chocolate chips just like eating them. And I thought that that was very like comforting but also extremely weird to see, which is, you know, that's Stars Hollow right there. Mm-hmm. They're all there, kind of like just talking about their problems, joking around with each other. I think it's such a, as you, like, such a good, cozy environment. Like, this is their support system, which includes people as well as coffee and chocolate. <laughs> I think that's a great, a great nomination. Yeah. It's very, very cute. What were what was your mm-hmm. Stars Hollow moment in this episode? I was thinking about a closet, actually. This is not for Lorelai's closet. This is Lane's Ooh, closet. Yes, I loved it. <laughs> and so yeah, let me set the scene. We like when Rory calls Lane, we just see Lane in this really colorful space it's like red and pink maybe she has lights going it feels a little disco or just like really stylish like she's really put the room together and the ambiance is great I think she turns off music to answer the phone I'm pretty sure it's just a really really cool space it's hard for me to describe we might need a picture of it um there's posters and a lot of stuff and you think, like, how could this possibly be Lane's room when we know Mrs. Kim would outlaw any of these items in mm-hmm. here? And you see, like, the surprise is that we follow the camera to, like, Lane opening a door. And it turns out we've been in her closet the whole time. Like, it's not actually her room. Um, <laughs> and when she opens the closet door, you see this such a, like, such a conventional bedroom. It's very, very beige. Um, sparse decorations like hardly no decorations is very functional there's a bed dark green is like the boldest color in the room which it's a great color but it's in like stark contrast to the really bright like oranges and pinks and reds of the closet and it gives you a really like it's not even the focus of the scene it's just the setting but it gives you so much into like Lane's personality the fact that she has to have a kind of double and secret life and that she's a bit, you know, restrained by her upbringing, which is very different from Rory and her mom, Mrs. Kim and Lane, uh, which we'll see time and time again throughout the series. But I just loved her closet. I want to hang out there. And I liked that it was previewing a dynamic that we'll, like, learn more about. Yeah, I keep forgetting, since I have such a, like, background knowledge of Gilmore Girls that at this point watching it like you really don't know there have been a couple mentions of the different dynamic between them but you don't know like the extent to it to which it goes um and Mm -hmm. then you see yeah this these completely different spaces for Lane I'm glad that she has that she's able to make at least somewhere her her comfort space 
it's really unfortunate mm-hmm. that it is a closet. <laughs> but right. The, the saying goes, like, you need a room of your own, right? That's about, like, Virginia Woolf talking about women writers. And <laughs> Alice Lane has a closet of her yeah. own. It's a space that she can have ownership over and have self-expression within, definitely. And I don't want to get too off topic, but I did notice when um, Lane brings up to Rory that the new kid, a.k.a. Dean, has been asking about her, and she describes him as tall and perfect. So I think Lane seems to be noting uh, that his personality is primarily that he's tall. She doesn't really say why she thinks he's perfect. That's really high praise, actually. But um, that's the most we've seen of, like, a romantic teenage boy Mm -hmm. interest in a while. It's just, like, a shadow, a quick mention, not even his name. So yeah, that's our Dean tracker. (laughs) I was just keeping an eye out. (laughs) Yeah, this episode did a good job of setting up the two romances that'll be happening soon without, you know, making it an episode about romance, which I really liked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we didn't talk about it too much, but the Max Medina and Lorelai relationship mm-hmm. was, I think, pretty heavily foreshadowed. Yeah. Like, the smiles they would show on Lorelai's face when she was either leaving the scene or at the voicemail he leaves at the end... It's like, okay, so clearly your rule about, you know, dating a parent at the school has gone out yeah. the window if you don't care that he's a teacher. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, Mr. Medina does seem like a better choice than that guy in the first episode. <laughs> Mild progress. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's time for Friday Night Dinner, our once-a-week opportunity to critique something from this episode. Did you have anything that you wanted to bring up to critique in this episode? Yeah, um, throughout the episode, I was thinking about the pedagogy at Chilton and how much I don't like it, but I knew that we would talk about that throughout the main moment, so I selected a secondary critique I would like to put forward, and this is a continuation of things we've already discussed about, you know, my least favorite character, Tristan. (laughs) So I have some more things to say about him. He uh, basically, like, right after Rory gets the D on the paper, she leaves the class. She's, like, visibly upset, just trying to basically get out of there. And this is when Tristan starts to, like, follow her. And she clearly doesn't want to be followed. He's, like, getting in her way, blocking her physically, um, and is, like, pushing her buttons, but it's not just that he's, like, me- like he's been messing with her mentally and emotionally, I would say, but this brings in this physical component of, like, not letting her go somewhere, trying to block her way, actually, and I'm, I'm just gonna say it, this is harassment, <laughs> like, this isn't a way to have a crush on someone, um, it's not like it's not okay that he was ever calling her derogatory names, but it's definitely not okay that he's doing it while also physically just like forcing himself in her space, like boundaries. It's not. It's just not okay. It's very aggressive, um, and he even like that's basically my critique. I would follow up, I guess, with the fact that he's still doubling down on this Mary comment mm-hmm. by saying. Um, when he, like, once, like, oh, do you have plans on Friday? Uh, she says yes or no or go away, basically. And he jokes that she has to get back to the convent. So, again, continuing this, like, nun 
Mary, like this thing that we've kind of we've talked about. But I just I hate it. It's not cool. I dislike that this actor is so attractive and potentially charismatic because it kind of sends the message to maybe younger viewers that it's okay if a guy is harassing you like this because it means he's interested in you and he's so hot. Isn't it great that you're getting this attention? Doesn't it make you feel worthwhile or any of these things? Like that's all of the things I think we should be avoiding because this is point blank just not, it's not okay. It's not acceptable. He should be in trouble for this. Yeah. Like it's harassment. It's super <laughs> predatory. Yeah, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. And he he is the kind of guy who in a, like a sexual situation if a woman said no to him he'd say oh you don't really mean that and you know carry on he's toxic masculinity he's just like and mm-hmm. i yeah i feel like especially in the early 2000s this really was like you know a guy likes you if he's basically giving you hell <laughs> which is so terrible. I'm, I feel like we're kind of moving beyond that, but it's still, I think, very much a part of teenage culture. Is, And I think it starts, mm-hmm. like, as children. Uh, yeah. Like, when little girls... I don't remember. There's some cheesy, like, romance movie or something where a little girl is... Some guy pulls her hair, and her mom says, oh, that means he likes you. I'm like no can we stop this at the very beginning that's not a way to show that you like somebody Mm -hmm. it's such a harmful model of (laughs) relationships we need a healthier model which i do think the show will provide at many different times but the fact that this is so early on Mm -hmm. is just so frustrating uh but i'm glad you point out like if you if we fast forward and consider tristan in a sexual relationship he would if this is how he treats them, it's just, yeah, it's so worrisome. I doubt he respects or has a good conception of consent, which you even get a sign of in this conversation by the way that he mocks when Rory says, please. I don't remember the exact line, but she's like, can you please get out of my way? And he says, oh, mm-hmm. since you said please, I'll finally go after she's repeatedly asked him. So she, he was clearly denied. She was not consenting to this interaction whatsoever. And he ignores that and then mocks it at the end. So just, just disgusting. I don't, I, I, oh, yeah, that's my yeah, critique. Yeah, <laughs> I agree that. It's a legitimate thing to bring mm-hmm. up. And I'm glad. I feel heated. Yeah. As much as we are anti-Dean, I think we can mm-hmm. both agree that he is way better than Tristan. <laughs> mm-hmm. The bar is low, yeah, and Dean is tall, so it's not hard for him to get over it. <laughs> but <laughs> oh, poor Dean. <laughs> uh, I know I should be better. We said we were going to be open-minded, yeah. I, so I should re- I should re- try to keep myself to that goal. <laughs> yeah, I guess until proven otherwise. <laughs> How about you? Well, we're at this Friday dinner full of critiques. What kind of critique would you like to put forward about this episode? I did not have the foresight to save, (laughs) to pick something that was not something we talked about at the beginning. So my critique was really about the terrible standards and pressure that not only Chilton puts on the students, but also the parents. And I 
feel like we'll get more of a view of this later on, especially once they get close to, like, applying to colleges and stuff, but the, like, kind of intense obsession with their children having perfect grades that we see at that parent-teacher conference night, it it's, like, the, the poor kids, they have to live with that. It also... This is kind of an aside, but I just had a memory flash of that one dad who makes the Christopher Marlowe comment. Have you ever seen the movie The School of Rock? Yeah. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that was the same actor who played the dad for the kid who played guitar, maybe? Uh, Or maybe it was just a very similar scene, but either way, yeah. The same kind of dad. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That, like extreme extreme pressure that parents put on their kids and also I think this kind of goes along with Lorelai um wondering whether Harvard is Lorelai's dream or Rory's dream like these parents clearly have goals for their children and their children have no choice but to fulfill those whether it's something that they want or not um it's it's just depressing I want so much more for the education system. You're so right to point out the pressures put on them by the school, the pressures put on them by their parents. Nothing encouraging actual learning, but Mm -hmm. just jumping through hoops and milestones and numbers and scores and things. So so upsetting and disappointing, but true to life, I think, too. (laughs) Yeah, I'd agree. I did have to chuckle when they considered bribing the AP committee. Yeah. <laughs> like, Max Medina's like, well, I guess the only way to do that would be to bribe them. And they're like, hmm. They start to talk to each other. He's like, oh, that was a joke. And they're like, yeah. well, I don't think they thought it was. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they would. I mean, didn't we just have a scandal like that a couple years ago with um, the famous people, like the woman from uh, Full House, I think, bribing paying for their students basically to be accepted like this is this is real life (laughs) yeah I was thinking about that documentary I think it's called operation something blues I I'm unsure but it is about that college scandal where famous and or rich people were going to this one guy who offered them backdoor deals so there's a distinguished like a lot of the people at Chilton are probably they could just make these huge donations to schools like the Gomers do later on. And that's like a front doorway to get a student in. But fast forward 21 years, what this whole documentary was about is that those donations have to be like astronomically large these days. So people have been seeking out backdoor, which would be Mm -hmm. like they would bribe a smaller amount and then have their student be on a sporting team, but they're not actually on the team, but they get in through that scholarship. And it's all kind of like under the under the rug kind of donations so I was thinking about that that also covers how they would hire people to like take the ACT test for their oh, students yeah. and like a lot of different workarounds like that and it's just so hypocritical to think this is the population to whom standardized testing and higher education is the most available they have the least amount of barriers to them and yet they're still abusing the system still using bribery and all these different methods to get in it's like come 
come on. Just the hypocrisy is just infuriating. But yeah. Yeah. By the way, if any of our listeners are looking for a good mystery crime book, there's a YA crime uh, book that I read recently that takes place place at a, an elite boarding school um, that mm. deals with these exact things. It's called The Ivies by Alexa Dunn. I fully encourage it. It's uh, a fast read, kind of, you know, dead bodies and stuff, and interesting. Mm. <laughs> Hey, and we won't get to the Ivy League for a while in mm-hmm. our recapping, so we'll tide you over if you do want to have a bit. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, that sounds good, though. I'm going to have to write that one down. Yeah. And now let's meet at the gazebo. To discuss our favorite moment from this episode. Um, did you pick out a gazebo moment for this episode? I'm guessing you did, so <laughs> what was it? I had some trouble deciding on one. And strangely, I think I picked one that had me, like, yelling at the TV the most. (laughs) Um, It's when Rory is driving to Chilton and she's late. And she's, like, looking through her notes and stuff as if she possibly would have time to read more notes. I don't know. I don't understand. And then she calls Lane and is freaking out on the phone to Lane. And I just, I liked that. I don't know. I was extremely frustrated at Rory for stopping, making herself more late, freaking out to the point where she was being completely illogical, but also that Lane was still there, like, adds kind of a comfort blanket a bit to her. Like, she knew she could call Lane. Lane was super calm about it. Um, She couldn't really help, but she was very calm. And then, of course, Rory gets hit by a deer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I agree. I like that you point that out as a frustrating yet satisfying moment to see their that facet of their friendship. Mm-hmm. It was very good. And that old flip phone, did you notice that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was no iPhone. <laughs> uh, back in the day. <laughs> mm-hmm. What was your gazebo moment? I actually struggled a little bit to pick out a gazebo moment this episode as well. And they ended up going with something that may be a little controversial. Um, You already mentioned it, actually, earlier. I selected Paris reciting Shakespeare to Rory to intimidate her. (laughs) And I was thinking... It had me thinking about a couple of things. First of all, like, it is so Paris as this, like, o- ambitious overachiever to have memorized this whole monologue. Like, it was long. It wasn't just what... It was a long series <laughs> of quotes that she was saying. And then she kind of sums it up with, like, you're going down right at the end, you know? Um, it was such, like, a scholarly way to intimidate someone. Yeah. Um, and I think it's clearly, like... It's mean, okay? I'm not saying parrot. Like, it's not okay. Uh, It is mean. uh, But, like, this is the kind of villain that I like to see. You know, like, you know they're the villain. You know they're not okay. But the way that they're villainizing someone (laughs) is, like, clever. Villainry through through nerdiness. And it also, like, Mm -hmm. tells us a lot about Paris that this is the most threatening thing she can think of doing. (laughs) I do I do agree. I love Paris. Here, she's pretty insufferable, but I think her character arc mm-hmm. is awesome and 
yeah, she's an interesting character for sure. Okay, so to wrap up, as a quick reminder, we would love it if you would send us your own gazebo moment from episode four and let us know in a one minute voice memo what that was. And you can send that to our email, which is talkingfastpodcast at gmail.com. And also don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts, especially Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram as well. I think we have quite a few images from this episode that we'll be posting. And we also just want to interact with you. Um, Until next Mm -hmm. time. (laughs) Yeah, talk to you next week. Bye.